Well, good morning again. I also want to welcome you to our Cornerstone service here on Sunday morning. If you have your Bible this morning, I want to encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be. If you did not bring a Bible today, uh, please know that you can find uh, Acts chapter 2 on page 1691 uh, in the blue Bible that's in the seat pocket in front of you. So pull that out for me if you will. I'd love for you to have that uh, in front of you uh, as we begin this brand new series called family meeting. You've already heard from Sharon about what these kinds of series are for us. It's not only an emphasis uh, that we will be walking through in our weekend services, but it's also a resource that we have made available for all of our small groups. And so uh, I pray that that is a blessing to your group if you were a part of a group. Uh, As Sharon also mentioned, I know that some of you, your life is just nuts. Like you're here for an hour and then you travel somewhere else or uh, whatever your life may be. Maybe very, very complicated uh, fitting in a group. It may not work for you. I do want to challenge you to think about that. But if it doesn't, all the resources that we've put together for our groups are available online. I'd love for you to watch that teaching, maybe discuss it uh, with a spouse or a friend, because the values that we talk about in the context of that group, um, I think are going to be really powerful for our groups and can be a great blessing to you uh, as you think about what does it mean uh, to live out the values that we are called to live as followers of Jesus. Uh, The reason that we're calling this family meeting is because in the scriptures, uh, the Bible talks about the church as a family. And and if you've heard anything in in preparation for this series, you've heard us talk about that great families remember who they are and where they're going. That that's one of the things that great families do. And so when we think about the church family, that's what we are meant to be for one another. We are meant to be a place, a family, a place where relationships in which we gather, where we help each other remember who we are and where we're going in our life. Now, churches come in all shapes and sizes, as you know. Ours is a very large church, uh, which is part of the reason why we encourage you so strongly to be a part of a group, because we believe everyone needs a place, uh, a group of relationships in which they know other people and they are known by other people. But regardless of what layer of the church that we're talking about, whether we're talking about the church in terms of a worshiping community or a small group, whatever that might look like, this is the principle I want you to think about as we think about families and what great families do. Great families establish values, they pursue shared vision, and help one another maintain healthy direction. This is the work that great families do. And for some of you, you can go home today, whether you get anything out of Acts chapter 2, you can go home and go, okay, well, this is, that's worth the price of admission because this is a challenge for you to think about. Whatever, con- whatever family looks like in your context, are we doing this for one another? In our family, have we established values? Are we on the same page so that we are pursuing shared vision? And are we helping one another maintain healthy direction in our life? Some of you may look at that and you may think to yourself, yeah, that's what my family did for me in my life. You may look at that and go, wow, that is a great explanation of the blessing that I received from my parents and from the family that they established. I I was given values. I was helped to pursue shared vision, and, and my family helped me maintain healthy direction in my life. Some of you may look at that and go, wow, that would have really been nice. Because this may be an, ex, uh, an expression of what you may have missed 
from your own family of origin, that maybe there was a struggle to establish some values. You didn't know what the vision was for your life. And, and that sense of helping one another maintain healthy direction, maybe that was missing. But this is the work that great families do. And so just as I hope every family in our church is challenged to think about this in in relationship to the people who you share life with, we as a church family are going to look at this and ask ourselves, how well are we, what does it mean to be a family of faith that establishes values, that together we pursue a vision, uh, a shared vision for our life, and a family that helps one another maintain healthy direction in our life. So Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to look at, but let me just give you a few words of context so you'll understand exactly what we're reading here when we turn to the second chapter of Acts. Acts is, uh, if, you're lo- if you may notice, it's the fifth book in the New Testament. The first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are all the Gospels, the stories of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Acts is actually the second volume to the Gospel of Luke. So Luke wrote two volumes, the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. The Gospel of Luke is the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The Acts of the Apostles is the story of the birth of the church. So if you were here last week, we looked at this, these last three verses from Matthew 28, and I summarized them for you in this way. This is what Jesus says to his disciples at the very end of his life in Matthew's Gospel. Go now and change the world one life at a time. Well, in the context of Luke and the way he tells the story, this same instruction happens in the first chapter of Acts, because that's the way that Luke tells the story. That's the way he divides the story between the story of Jesus and the story of the church. That's what we see happening in Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 2, what we find is this life-changing work of the church, this life-changing work that the disciples received from Jesus, it's about to begin, and it's going to begin with the receiving of a special gift from God. Second thing you need to know, first verse you're going to read there, it's going to uh, mention the day of Pentecost, which many of you probably don't know what Pentecost was. It was a Jewish festival. Here's what you need to know about it. Pentecost was 50 days after Passover. So Penta, five, you with me? Following? Yes? Good. 50 days after Passover. What you need, the reason you need to know that is Passover, remember, is when Jesus was crucified. So we're about 50 days after the crucifixion of Jesus. We're in Jerusalem, the same city where Jesus was crucified, just outside the walls, the same city where Jesus was condemned. The disciples are there in Jerusalem. We're less than two months after that incredible event. And this is what happens. Let's look at the first four verses. When the day of Pentecost came, again, 50 days after the crucifixion, they, referring to the disciples, were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. 
Let me pause there because I just want to acknowledge something that some of you are thinking right now. I know that you are, and it's okay that you are. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, okay? I'm not going to call you out, but I want to acknowledge that there are people who are here right now who are thinking to themselves, this is kind of weird, right? It's okay. You're thinking this is kind of weird. There's this sound that fills the house. You just heard from the Bible something about tongues of fire, I mean, some of you are thinking, this is a little bit strange. And the reason that you're thinking that is because over the course of the last week, this hasn't happened for you, okay? Like, that wasn't something that happened on Wednesday afternoon this week, you know, where, oh yeah, I saw a vision of tongues of fire today, you know? That's, in fact, most of you are thinking, I've never even seen, seen a tongue on fire. What in the world would that even look like to, to, to have a visual of a tongue of fire? And here's why I want to acknowledge that. Because the rest of you who are thinking, well, why is this strange? The reason that you're thinking that is because you've heard this story before. You're familiar with the Bible. In fact, some of you may have heard Acts chapter 2 and you thought, oh, we're talking about, we're talking about the day of Pentecost. We're talking about when the Spirit comes. You, you know what's about to happen next. You know, Peter's about to preach this amazing sermon. The church is going to start. And so you hear these first four verses and you're like, yeah, no big deal. Big loud wind, sound, tongues of fire, cool, people can speak. And, and, and if you've heard this before, here's what you might miss. You might miss what your friends have already acknowledged, that this is, in fact, a weird moment. A moment that would have been weird and strange for those who originally experienced it. Uh, listen to how Luke, again, narrates this story for you. He has heard from the disciples, and here's what the disciples have said. The disciples have said, there was this sound, and it was, it was like, this is the only way we can describe it, it was like a violent wind that filled this place. And then we saw something, and what we saw, it, it was like, well, how can I describe it? It was like a tongue on fire, and you've had a moment in your life like this, maybe not a tongue of fire, okay, but you've had a moment in your life where you've experienced something significant in your life, and when someone said, hey, can you describe it for me, you said, well, it was sort of like this, but you know whatever that was, it didn't really fully capture what that moment was like, because it was extraordinary, it was amazing, it was something that you had not experienced before. You've never seen a tongue of fire, I've never seen a tongue on fire, they had never seen a tongue on fire. But there was no other way to capture in language what it was that they were experiencing. This was a tremendous moment, the giving of the Holy Spirit, and what I want you to notice is that when the Holy Spirit comes, the disciples are able to do something that they couldn't do before. They begin to speak in a language that they do not know. They never heard it before. They've never been able to speak it before, but they begin to speak in a language that they did not know before. So again, if you think this is strange, imagine what they must have felt like doing something they'd never done before. Now, if we were to read the next few verses, what we would recognize is that the people who are kind of around this gathering and seeing what has happened, they also think this is a little bit weird. So look down at verse 13. This is the onlookers. This is their observation. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Seems like a good explanation, right? Now look at verse 14. Then Peter, one of the disciples, stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Now keep in mind, 
day of Pentecost, 50 days after the crucifixion of Jesus, Peter is addressing this crowd that is gathered to figure out what in the world is going on with these crazy people. And this is what Peter says, fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. In other words, if you want to see a show, come back in a few hours. Well, wait, this really gets crazier. I'm not, no, I'm just kidding about that. Uh, this, is, this is Peter saying, no, no, no. You, what you think is ha- that's not what's happening here. Uh, th- this is a moment that we ourselves, it, it, it's, it's, cr- it's something we've never experienced before. But then what Peter does, if you look in verse 14, that's where Peter starts talking. 41, just again, look with me. 41 is when he stops talking, okay? I'm not going to read you from 14 to 41. You can do that at home this week, okay? But let's look at two verses here that kind of summarize this message that Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the crucifixion of Jesus in Jerusalem, the city where Jesus had been crucified, something that everyone who was there would have known what have happened. This was a significant event. Let's look first at verse 32. This is what Peter says in the sermon. He says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. So again, remember, we're two months after this event. And why was Jesus crucified? Jesus was crucified because the adversaries of Jesus had had enough. How do you end a movement according to the Jewish leadership and according to the Roman authorities? It's really simple. You just kill the leader. That's what they did. We've had enough. We killed him. It's over. And then Peter gets up in in Jerusalem 50 days later and says, guess what? God raised him from the dead and we're here to witness to it and we're not going to shut up about it. Oh, they're back. (laughs) And then look at verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Again, Jesus was crucified because the authorities were tired of him. We don't want to deal with this guy anymore. We want to end this movement. And what is Peter saying? In the middle of Jerusalem, Jesus was who he said he was. He is who he said he is. He is Messiah. He is Savior. And he is Lord. Not the Lord that you've heard about. Not the Lord who is in this world. Not Caesar not the Roman authority, Jesus is Lord. And we are here as witnesses to it, and we're not going to stop talking about it. Because something has happened in the world, and we are here as witnesses to that truth. He's come back, and we are here to tell you about him. Now, what does this have to do with families? What does it have to do with our family? What does it have to do with uh, remembering what our values are and what our vision is and, and maintaining healthy direction in our life? Well, we have to begin with this question. The question is, what is the church? And that's one of those questions that if you've grown up in church, like if this is something that's normal for you to come on Sunday and be here, you would think you would have a good answer to that question. Until you start thinking about, what would I say? 
Like, you're talking to somebody who's never been, never experienced church, doesn't really know what that's about. Well, well, how would you answer that question? How would you express to them what, what church is? And, and where you would probably go is a place that you know is not quite the best definition for it, but it's the place that people like me have encouraged you to, to think about as you think about church. See, this is, this is my problem. This is what pastors do. This is what, church, this is what church people do that mess up this definition of church. Uh, you've probably heard someone like me, or you've maybe even have heard me say before, welcome to church, right? Or maybe you've heard me say before, I look forward to seeing you this weekend at church. Maybe you, in talking with your family over the course of the last couple days, you said, hey, on Sunday, we're going to go to church. We're going to go to the church. We're going to be together at church. And so you would naturally think, this is church. Here we are. This is, this is church. Church is that place. So, so here's, here's kind of where you'd start maybe with that definition. Church is the place where you go and when you get there, you do churchy things. You know, you go and you, uh, you put on your Sunday best, unless you come on Saturday, and then it's your Saturday best, which is different than your Sunday best, by the way. And then and you go and you do churchy things. You sing. Have you ever thought about there are so few places in the world that you go where, go, come on, we're going to come sing together. Like, that's third grade, but not anymore. You know, you don't do that at work. Hey, let's start the day in song. No, that's not normal. It's, it's a, you do churchy things. When you go to church and people ask you how you are, you say, I'm doing great. Everything's great because you're supposed to be nice at church, right? You're just supposed to be nice to each other and pretend like, you know, you, you could have been fighting in the car, all right? Why are we late again? But as soon as you get out of the car, Hey, God bless you. How you doing? We are here to do the church thing, right? That's what we, and, and yet you know that's not quite right. I mean, you know, you know there's something missing there. You know that, that church is more than just brick and mortar and a roof. And you know it's more than that. It, it should be at least. So, so what is it? What is the church? So as we begin this series, again, this is the next six weeks of our church, uh, what, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a definition. One sentence, I'm going to break it up to you in three parts, that we find here, this is the beginning of this, of, of this thing called the church. This is where it all begins here in Acts chapter 2, looking at this, these first moments in the life of what we now call the church. I, I want us to look at what it says about who we are and who we are called to be. So again, three parts. Here's the first one. The church is first a movement of God. The church is a movement of God, which in part means that the church does not belong to you and it doesn't belong to me any more than it belonged to the original disciples. It doesn't belong to any of us. It belongs to God. We are here today participating in the life of the church, gathering as the people of God in this place, but we don't own this thing. One day our task, and all along the way our task, is to prepare others to be a steward of this gift just as we have been a steward of this gift. It's a movement of God. It gathers in certain places, but once it gathers, it's sent out. 
And it goes out into the world and it is constantly moving and doing things because this is not something that belongs to us. It's not something that is located in a particular place. It is something that is dispersed throughout the world. And this, this mission that Jesus gives to the disciples, this mission of changing the world, the vessel which God has called to do that work is the church. That's what the church is. Why did God uh, make the church do that work? I don't know, you got to ask God, but that was His plan, to, this movement of God to, to do the work of the church, which is changing the world one life at a time. The church is a movement of God in which participants are enabled by the Spirit. And I know this is a place where some of you are like, oh, that's kind of weird. I don't know what the Spirit is, but let me just see if I can explain this to you a little bit. The first thing I want you to notice is this word participants. It, it is in, in part to help you understand, and this is a whole other message. We're just going to touch, touch on this a little bit. It's to help you understand that you really can't just attend church. I mean, you really can't just attend church. If church is a movement of God, to, 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 to be in any way a part of that movement, you have to participate in it. And as you participate in it, you are enabled by the Spirit. There's something that comes alive in you that allows you to do things that you didn't do before. You can't just attend church. You can't just watch church. Church is something that you are called to participate in, and the, the place where lives begin to transform begins the place of participation. So think about it this way. How many of you would go by the grocery store and pick up a bag of chips and then head to the gym to go watch people work out? And how many of you after that would come home and go, I am so disappointed, I did not lose a pound today. It's crazy. Do, do you hear the note? There, there's this idea you have to participate in this. But it's at, it's at the level of participation that you, are, you begin to be enabled by the Spirit to live in ways, uh, the church is the movement of God in which participants are enabled by the Spirit to live in ways they could not and would not live, live before. In other words, as you participate in, in, the, in the body that is the church and the movement of God, you will not only do things that you could not do before, but you wouldn't even have dreamed of doing before. It not only, it not only changes your behavior. I used to do this, and now I do this. It also changes your desires, and it changes your outlook to where you find yourself doing things that you wouldn't even have imagined doing before because of the way in which this participation has enabled you to not only see your life in a new way, but also to engage life in a new way. Here's Peter in the middle of Jerusalem, and he stands up, and he shares this radical political, suicidal message, speaking to the authority that had condemned and crucified Jesus. He's come back, and we are witnesses of it. And we are not going to stop talking about what this Jesus has done. 
Now, I wish we could just take the next two hours and we just unpack this whole sentence, but that's what the next five weeks are about. So I'm not going to do that today. Everyone breathe a sigh of relief. You're going to get out in time for the Cowboy game. I don't know why you want to, but... Let's look at just two observations, though, as we think about, again, great families establish values. They pursue shared vision. They help people maintain healthy direction. Two observations about this. If the church is a movement of God in which participants are enabled by the Spirit to live in ways that they could not and would not live before, then the church is a challenge to our resistance to change. And hear that appropriately. We're not talking about just like things changing around you. We're not talking about saying, hey, if you sit on this side, I'm going to make you sit on this side next week. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the level of your anger or your addiction or your desire for control or your inability to let go of a wound or a pain. We're talking about our desire sometimes to react not in grace and forgiveness, but our desire to act in vengeance and anger. We're talking about the the, the challenge that the church offers to us when we want the world to be what we want it to be, when we want to manipulate situations and people to be what we want them to be. The church is a place where we are challenged And we are challenged at the place, uh, at the level where we are resistant to the change that God wants to bring into our lives. If our notion of church is that this is the place or this is the the movement, this is the place we participate, and when I come, I just, when I'm a part of that, I just, I just feel good, and I just get recharged, and I just, well, maybe not. Church is a place that's going to push you, and it's going to push you because Jesus pushes you. It's going to invite you into a new way of life because Jesus invites you into that new way of life. And in order to engage that new way of life, it might, it might, it might require you to let go of an old way of life, of an old way of dealing with a situation or a problem or a relationship. And the church is a challenge to that. The church is a movement of God that seeks to bring justice and to resist the work of evil, which means that systems in our world that promote injustice and people in our world who work for evil should not be very comfortable with the church and what the church challenges the world to be. It's one of the things church struggles to do today, I'll be honest with you, of really challenging the world and recognizing that there, is, there are ways that we as people must change. The church is a challenge to our resistance to change, but the church is also a danger to those who want to play it safe. And let me just give you one illustration of that. Uh, many of you have kids who are over in our children's area right now. Uh, some of you have uh, little young ones. Maybe you have them here with you in church. Uh, but you, are, you have brought them here in part because you want this to be a part of their life. And I think that's wonderful. I think it's wonderful that you want to raise your children within the context of a faith community, a faith family. One of the things that we hope and pray every child in our church grabs hold of is the idea that every child matters to God. 
We want every kid to, to wrap their heart and their mind around the idea that they matter to God and every child matters to God. And you love that, don't you? I mean, whenever, whenever you are here and you see a child baptized, don't you love, especially when it's that, that little baby boy or baby girl who's dressed up in that nice, uh, you know, whatever they're wearing that day, they got the nice bow tie on for the guys or the nice dress. And, and you hear me say, uh, Jesus said, let the little children come to me for to such as these belongs the kingdom of God. You love that moment, don't you? I mean, everyone, ooh and awe. Oh, and we love that. Every child matters to God. Here's the danger, though. If you tell a child that enough, eventually they may come to believe it. And as they become, as they come to believe that, they not only hear that and understand that they matter to God and that the children they see when they go to their elementary school matter to God and the kids that they see when they're playing in their neighborhood matter to God and the other kids that are on their sports teams matter to God, but also children everywhere matter to God. And so as they grow in their life, as they mature in their life, they may come to you and say, hey, mom and dad, I want to go on a mission trip to Guatemala or somewhere else in the world that you as a parent think, what? What, what, are, you, what, are, you, what are you going to do? I, I remember calling my mother, preacher's wife, by the way, okay, my parents, raised in the church, hey, mom, I'm going to Africa you're going to do what? What are you, you, now, little tip, if you have to call your mom to tell you're going to Africa, don't call from the airport, okay? That's, you should probably tell her beforehand, I forgot, but that conversation, like, where did you learn that? Well, mom, you kind of taught me this, that every child matters to God. Like, if you're raising your kid in church, it's more than just raising them to be nice people, it's, it's raising them to be people who are committed to world change. And the world, uh, the change that God may be calling them to, to be a part of in the world may require them to do some things that aren't necessarily the safe things that you may want them to pursue. Now, I can't wait till next week when the children's ministry says, hey, there's no one here. There's no kids. We, no, no one brought their kids, kids back to church. I like that uncomfortable laughter. Appreciate that. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that with me. The church is a, is a danger for those who want to play it safe. If you want to play it safe, you may not want to hang out around here. If you don't want to change, you may not want to hang out around here. Because this is a family faith that's going to, that's going to challenge you to think about that. Now, I know there's things you hear sometimes, you're like, oh, that's just the pastor. The pastor's got to say that. That's, that's what the pastor's. So let me, let me just invite you to hear this from David the dad, okay? You, you may have this dynamic in your house. Maybe there's one parent that, you know, it's just like, sure, run with scissors, no big deal, you know? And then there's the other one who's like, no, 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 that's not. I am the, I'm the parent that says, get down from there, stay away from the ledge, you don't need to go off the high dive. Don't do that, you know. Put, where's your helmet? Where's your, where's your, where's your elbow, knee pads, wristband? You know, you need everything. You know, I would like to wrap you up in bubble paper. You know, just, just go out, conquer the world, but don't do anything that could, you know, be in any way dangerous. Like, that's, that's who I am as a parent, okay? That's how I'm wired, which is part of the reason. This is what I want you to hear, which is part of the reason that I want my children to be raised in the church. Because I know that if the vision of their life 
is defined by what I am comfortable with, then it is possible, perhaps even likely, that they would miss. They would miss the life that God really has them, has for them, and is calling them to pursue. But I want them to be in a place where they develop a faith that requires of them a level of boldness and bravery that I may not necessarily want for them. And it may mean that one day they will come have a conversation with me just like I had a conversation with my mom and I will think, oh my gosh, Jesus is calling and I got to let that go. I got to let that go. There was a, a, a couple sitting right about there uh, at the last service whose son has been a missionary to Africa for the last 10 years. And she came up to me and she just smiled. She said, was that sermon for me? I said, no, no, you've, you've, you've got to figure it out. He's been gone for 10 years. What are you going to do when that child comes and says, hey, I've really enjoyed law school, but I'm not going to work for that firm. I want to go work in the inner city because I want to defend those who have no one else to defend them. Boy, this church thing, this is a dangerous, this is a dangerous, dangerous place for those who want to play it safe. And if you can hear that from me as a dad, then you can probably hear better this from me as a pastor. Part of what that means is that this is, this is my dream for you. This is my dream for our church, that we would be a place where people are, are being set free to pursue the life that God has called them to live. And it may not be safe. It may require them to take risks. It may, may not be as crazy as what Peter did, but hey, this is a movement of God. This is a movement of God. It doesn't belong to us. And in this family of faith, in this family of faith, we are, we are people who are open to the change that God would call of us. And we are, we are open to the idea that life, life isn't safe. That faith calls us, challenges us, challenges us to take risks. So may God bless us over these next few weeks as we think about what are our values, what's our vision, what's the direction we want to pursue in our life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would bless our church, that you would bless us, Lord, not, not just this, this, this place, but you would, get, you would bless these gathered people as they are here today to receive your grace, to remember the, uh, what you have given to them, but also, Lord, as they are sent forth to go into the world, to be the movement of God, to do what you have called them to do, to, to change, to respond, to love, to do things that maybe we we in our minds think, wow, I could never do that. I would never do that. May we, Lord, be people who are enabled by your spirit to, to a level of, a, 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 a kind of faith that has a level of boldness and bravery that, that would be a gift from you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.